Tonight I am going to talk about uh, what we call the six paramitas. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the six paramitas, but um, I'm going to explain them uh, in detail. Uh, six paramitas are um, generosity, um, conduct, right conduct, um, uh, patience, uh, enthusiastic effort, meditation, and wisdom. They uh, all have Sanskrit names, but we don't have to use them, but I will as we go along. Paramita is a uh, term that has two meanings. One meaning is perfection or uh, accomplishment. And the other meaning is to cross over. And crossing over has the, uh, the meaning of from, in, in this case, from samsara to nirvana. So these are six paramitas which um, are conducive to crossing over from samsara to nirvana. And uh, there are also um, aspects of wisdom. Wisdom, uh, the word for wisdom is pragya, uh, P-R-A-J-N-A. So people say prajna. Then we have the prajna paramita sutra but it actually pronounced pragna, something like that. I can never pronounce it right, but I had an old Indian man come once and said, I, I really like what you're doing, but it's called pragna. <laughs> <laughs> so, somewhere between G, J, and A, and N. And, and. So, uh, so I tried to do that. But, uh, so I call it pragna, pragna. Pragna and Paramita. So Pragna, Paramita is the wisdom of... Uh, pragna is, is the wisdom which underlies Paramita. And the sixth Paramita is Pragna itself. So I'm going to start with Pragna because Pragna uh, is the wisdom of non-duality. Not just panya is knowledge, but pragya is wisdom, which is not knowledge in the usual sense. It's intuitive knowledge, or it's knowledge which is um, uh, transcends the understanding of good and bad, right and wrong, or all dualities. So when we talk about the six paramitas, we should always say the six prajna paramitas. But they always always call it the six paramitas. But they should be called the six prajna paramitas because each one, without prajna, is simply doing something good and bad, right and wrong. In the usual way. <coughs> so, uh, to begin with, uh, dana, 
which is generosity. What is dana? What is generosity? In uh, a pure sense, uh, dana is no give. There's no giver. There's no gift, and there's no one that receives. This is pure activity of, of dana. But usually, we give something, and we want somebody to say, "Oh, thank you," or we want some down the road some recognition or something to come back to us when I give something I expect something back this is a usual way of thinking about giving but uh, the giving of pragya paramita is the emptiness of the giver the emptiness of the gift and the emptiness of the receiver so we say just give and forget hard to do because uh, giving or generosity on the one hand can be an ego builder on the other so we have to be very careful about our generosity how we how we actually give so giving is actually a, a kind of renunciation it's a letting go renunciation is to let go so there's giving in the sense of material goods and there's giving in the sense of yourself, myself. So offering myself is the is, uh, uh, foundation of giving, of foundation of dana. I offer myself. Uh, there's a story of the Buddha when, of course, uh, Dipankara Buddha, when one of the seven Buddhas of the past, when he was um, uh, walking down a muddy road, a woman with long hair uh, came up to his side and she kneeled down and put her hair across the, across the muddy road so that the Buddha could walk across on it. This is dana. So giving ourselves. Giving, giving ourselves fully to whatever we're doing, uh, not holding back, and not expecting a reward. Uh, this is pure activity. Pureness, purity, you know, means non-duality. We think of pure water and pure this and that, but in, in Dharma language, purity means non-duality. Suzuki Roshi, my teacher, used to say, um, uh, practice is not so hard because your legs hurt when you cross them, <laughs> but because it's so difficult to have pure practice, which means non-duality, to actually practice non-duality all the time. Uh, so, uh, this is the, the practice, actually. This is what we always aim at as the practice. And this is what all the teachers are talking about. Pure activity. We live in the world of duality. This is where we live and we have our activity. Uh, so it makes it difficult because we, we are brought up to defend ourselves and to create a world of uh, 
commerce between ourselves and others. And so we expect certain things and we, we give certain things, we keep certain things. But you know, when a, when a monk becomes ordained, they only have three robes in a bowl. <clears throat> this is difficult practice, but also it's not so difficult once you let go. So we are actually held uh, um, captive in a way by our desires. So this is what Buddha is talking about all the time. Life is subject to suffering. Why? Because of our grasping and aversion. Clutching and, letting and, and, and pushing away. When we stop doing that, then we can contribute uh, ourself and what we have in a way that um, uh, is beneficial to everyone. My teacher Suzuki Roshi used to say, when he, when he gave a talk one time about money, he said, money is not bad. Money's, money is money. <laughs> but uh, when, it, uh, when it circulates, it's like the blood in your body. Your, our body is kind of like a microcosm of the world. When the blood is circulating, the body's healthy. When money is circulating and everyone has some, the, 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 uh, the world body is healthy. But when, it's, when circulation doesn't happen, when we start grasping, some people have a lot, keep getting more, some people don't have enough, the balance is like this. So the world's always going like that. <laughs> it's always tipping over. It's always tipping over. When it gets balanced, somebody wants some more. They unbalance it. So uh, if everyone practiced true dana, I'm not saying we shouldn't have things, you know, I remember Akim Roshi saying, uh, this is my typewriter. It really doesn't belong to me, but uh, uh, you can't have it. I, I can't give it to you because I need it to do my writing on. <laughs> and Suzuki Roshi said, uh, these are my glasses. I mean, I, I, these are not my glasses. You, let, you, you allow me to wear these glasses. They're not mine, but thank you for letting me use them. So, uh, this is dana. Dana is giving without a thought of uh, um, uh, a goal or a um, re- anything in return. Without expectations. Without any expectation. And this is actually dharmic life is without expectation, basically. And it's the uh, essence of meditation practice. But I'll get to that as the fifth paramita. So the second paramita is um, conduct. And when we have ordination, you know, we have the ten prohibitory precepts or the ten they're called ten clear mind precepts or various names for those but basically they're don't kill don't steal don't misuse sex don't uh, sell the wine of delusion 
don't sell Buddhism. My teacher used to say, don't sell Buddhism as the wine of delusion. <laughs> don't sell it as something that's going to make you intoxicated. Uh, and then we have all the, 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 the precepts about um, how we treat each other and not bragging and, and not lowering other people in the, and, and not not criticizing and so forth. And then we have not, ho- not being, uh, holding on to anger and not abusing the three treasures. So, so we think of these as ten prohibitory precepts. But actually, precepts have many layers. They're dualistic precepts, and uh, the precepts have a dualistic aspect and a non-dualistic aspect. Precept, say, of not killing is the first one. So, if you follow the precepts literally, um, uh, it means that uh, if you follow them literally, then you're following them in a dualistic way. Don't kill. But, you know, it's impossible to live without killing. Everything is killing everything else and bringing everything else to life. So, literally, don't take life. But in an an absolute sense, life cannot be killed. Even if you chop the earwig in five pieces, the life of the earwig cannot be killed. Only this, everything, all phenomena are in the process of transformation. So, in a large sense, in Buddhist understanding, there is no birth or death. There's simply constant transformations. Nothing can be grasped. Nothing can be held on to. So these are the two extremes. The literal extreme, don't take life. And the absolute extreme, there's no such thing as taking life, killing life. But in between is where we live our life. In between those two extremes. Because we're always meeting circumstances and the rules don't apply to every circumstance. So the living precept is how we act, right, do right conduct, given those two extremes. Um, you know, if I have an apple, I say, this is an apple. But, you know, if I look at it more closely, it's composed of many parts, fire, water, air, earth and minerals and all uh, electricity <laughs> beyond our understanding so in a sense this apple I call this an apple but that's just the name if I don't call it an apple I can say this is something but I don't know what it is I think I know what it is because I call it an apple but I don't really know what it is but I know how it functions in some way. So we know how our life functions in some way, 
but we don't necessarily know what it is. So one of the great Zen koans is, what is it? We should keep asking ourselves this all the time because we don't know. We think we know because we name, because we name things. Anyway, when the apple, so I have this nice apple, and so I want to eat it. So I'll start eating the apple, and I'll eat the apple, and then where's the apple? The apple is transforming itself, or it's transforming, it's coming, it's um, disintegrating and providing energy in a different, whole different way. For another another being, so this is going on all the time. Every we we are eating our way through the world, and being eaten. Everything is eating everything else. Oh, it's terrible! But actually, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's quite wonderful because when we realize that there is no self in things, there's only one big self which is interacting with itself in ways that are beyond our comprehension. So when we let go, letting go is one side and acting is the other side. Passive and active. So these are two sides. And this is also important because if we're only passive, then we call that going with the flow, right? That's one side. The other side is we actually make things happen. So we are a positive force as well as a negative force. And these two sides balance each other. And this is uh, very important when we have meditation because sometimes we think, well, meditation is just sitting passively. Don't move. Actually, if you sit correctly with the right posture, it's dynamic. Your, your meditation, your zazen, should be dynamic because all that energy is being focused into one act. So the balance between sitting up straight in good form, which is uh, active, and allowing the energy to circulate, which is passive. So it's the balance between the active and the passive. This is non-dual activity. Anyway, I will talk about that later. Then, uh, um, the third paramita, prajna paramita, is um, patience. We think of patience often as waiting for something, patiently waiting. That's patience, but uh, non, uh, the patience, the patience, the prajna patience is just being where you are. This is the hardest place to be. The hardest place to be is where we are because we always, we're moving. Everything is moving. And we're always expecting the next thing. 
So if you're waiting for the bus, that's an idea. I'm waiting for the bus in, in your, the movement of your life. But actually, you're standing in a certain place or sitting in this place. And this is exactly where you are. So it's really hard to be where we are because we're always thinking about where we should be or where we're going. So there are two aspects. One is, yes, we're going someplace. This is our world in which we're always moving. We're never still, except when we go to sleep and we're still not still. But uh, within that movement, every step, every place where we are is exactly where we are. And to be able to settle on each moment's place, to settle on our place where we are with each step um, uh, is practice. And is, um, uh, you, it's the prajna of patience, which is not waiting for something. Even though you're waiting for something, you're not waiting for something. You're content to be where you are. You're settled where you are. And then when you're settled, when it, takes, when it comes time to take that step, you take the step. It's like a cat waiting for the mouse to come out of the hole. The cat looks like the cat is waiting for the mouse to come out of the hole, but the cat is totally composed. And the cat will stay there all day waiting for the mouse. Totally at ease. But when the mouse comes, boom! So this is uh, patience is called composure. To always have composure, which is non-dualistic activity, because you're not doing something else other than what you're doing. So the next one is uh, I call it enthusiastic activity. Sometimes it's called energy or effort. But I like to call it enthusiastic energy because when we do things uh, or when we practice our practice, um, we should practice our practice wholeheartedly. Every activity should be done wholeheartedly and thoroughly. So, uh, which doesn't mean that you can't be casual or that you have to be fast or it simply means total attention to what we're doing and to be one with what we're doing. Usually, we're thinking in terms of the subject and the object. I'm the subject over against the object. If I have this glass of water... This, this glass of water has given me direction. It's not an object. It is an object in one sense, but it's really a part of myself. This glass of water just told me what to do. 
and I responded. Our, the objects around us are always telling us what to do. We create a world of objects <laughs> that tell us what to do. Drink me. Isn't that um, from Alice in Wonderland? Yes, so the water is now part of me, but it was part of me before I drank it. So by identifying with ourself, with, with ourself as a self, we create a subject and an object. When there's no self, everything is yourself. So we become, sometimes when we hear this, no self, no self, God, you know, my self, where will I be without myself? <laughs> this, this is a great concern. Uh, without a, we do have a self. We do, there is this self that's myself, but this myself is not a self. It's the self that's not a self. It's not that there's no self. There is a self but it's, the self is not a self. This is uh, where we have to understand the non-duality of duality. <laughs> the non-attachment of, of attachment. We say, don't be attached, no attachments, you know. But everybody's attached. You're attached to your friend, your spouse, your, your food, your books, your car, you know, money. We're attached to those things. But when we uh, realize that uh, when we have freedom from what we have and still have it, that's non-duality. That's that's non-attachment. So yes, this is mine, but now it's gone. It's gone. It's just like this body. Of course, we're all attached to our body, but when it's gone, it's gone, and we're attached to each other. You know, I'm attached to my friend, but when my friend is gone, my friend is gone. This is just a part of life. This is how life goes on. And when the apple falls from the tree, it starts to disintegrate. And then uh, uh, the apple, what we call the apple, becomes a compost for the seeds. So the apple dies and the seeds come to life. So letting go is also uh, uh, coming back. Not coming back. There's no, there's no place to go. So birth and death is happening on each moment. With each breath. Each breath is a moment of, um, let it, of letting go and coming back. Okay? So exhaling is letting go. And inhaling is coming back, so to speak. But we take it all for granted. We think that 
we're assured that the next breath is going to be there because it always has been but it won't always be it's something that happens we're not breathing I am breathing I am not breathing breathing is me I am being breathed by the universe this is just universal activity this is, I think this is a really good way to understand non-attachment and non-duality is that the universe is it's just the great universal activity that's making all this pulsation happen I don't have anything to do with it but uh, I cooperate with it my eye cooperates with it so in death is birth in birth is death so in that sense there's really yes there is a birth and a death but ultimately there's no birth and death simply transformations of exhaling and inhaling continuously so I don't think about reincarnation or those things I just it's just obvious that everything that there's just transformations continuous transformations whatever that means and the next one is uh, 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 yeah very uh, is is enthusiastic effort and um, Kshanti is um, patience so patience and effort balance each other in a wonderful way Patience is um, uh, imperturbability and our stillness and uh, uh, enthusiastic effort is movement. So we're, we're always this. This is these two are always balancing each other, and uh, one without the other. Uh, patience without. Um, uh, effort becomes lethargic and effort without patience becomes um, uh, unstable and uh, um, uh, overheated so then there's meditation all kinds of Buddhist meditations 37 uh, aspects of meditation if you want to study them uh, but what, uh, in our tradition, which is called Zazen, Dogen uh, doesn't call it meditation. It says Zazen is not one of the meditation practices. It includes all the meditation practices, but it doesn't have an object. Most meditation practices have an object. Some, you're meditating to do something. You're meditating for something. But Zazen is simply... Zazen is Zazen. There is no expectation, there is no goal outside of simply sitting. So I think of Zazen or meditation as the great gen- act of generosity. Zazen is dana. Zazen is totally giving yourself to this activity without holding back, without wanting anything, without expecting anything and without fear and without 
um, uh, without self, actually, just letting go of everything. If people say, "Well, you know, what do I get out of this? <laughs> what am I getting out of this?" They go on for years, you know, thinking, "What am I getting? I'm doing this for you." Of course you're not getting anything out of this. You're giving everything away. <laughs> Meditation is simply giving everything away. Letting go of everything. Free of everything. I remember there was, um, there was this priest at, uh, who came to Sokoji, was a friend of Suzuki Roshi's, and he had the stick. We always used to use the stick in... Uh, we go around in Zazen and hit people with a stick, which is wonderful. We all loved it. People now complain about it. So. But on his stick, he had the characters free of everything. So that, and so when you're free of everything, it's called samadhi. So. Uh, Meditation is called dhyana, basically, uh, generally, it's an Indian word, jhana, chana, that chana in China, and zena in, in Japan. Dhyana, chana, zena. So India, China, Japan. Um, and samadhi is sitting still with uh, composure and immovability. Not being moved by anything. Not being victimized by the pain in your legs. Not feeling like a victim of anything. Simply open. Totally open. Open uh, with um, and presenting yourself it's like when you sit in Zazen you're presenting yourself to the universe in your most um, uh, formal way saying here I am and I'm presenting myself with everything my, all my, my whole energy the, uh, body, mind, and breath harmonizing with the universe because there's no self. Nothing hindering that activity. This is called samadhi. And there are many samadhis. Samadhi of infinite light, samadhi of uh, self-joyous, samadhi one act samadhi, um, great ocean samadhi, and all these have, um, they're all aspects of the same thing. They're all ways of, of describing the same thing. Uh, but it's, um, uh, the sixth uh, patriarch of the Zen school in China talked about um, samadhi and pragya. The pragya, samadhi is the base, like a lamp and its light. Samadhi is like the lamp and pragya or wisdom is like the lamp. 
so when uh, there, when there's strong samadhi, there's strong light. So uh, the activity of a Buddhist practitioner is to be a vessel of light. It's not like there's some special light, you know. Light is also darkness is also light. Everything. Light is just a, a, a term that describes, I don't want to describe it, but it's a t- term that is like saying Buddha nature. You know, if you say everything is Buddha nature, you, you have some idea. But if you say light, that it lights you up, right? <laughs> so one is a vessel of light, lets light into the world. So this is why Zazen is so important in our world. Because people who do this, when we do this, we don't know the far-reaching effect of what we're doing. While they're sitting still, how is that, you know, bringing peace to the world? But it's probably the most important aspect to bringing peace to the world. Because here we're demonstrating what is true peace. Lighting up, bringing light into a world of darkness. And then there's pragya, which is the sixth paramita, prajna paramita. And all all of the paramitas are based on prajna paramita. So each one of the paramitas includes all the others. As you can see, as I've been talking about them, that the others are all included. Uh, But when we talk about... um, uh, dana, all the others are, are in the background as supporting. And when we talk about uh, virya, all the others are there as, as well. So there's actually 36 paramitas. <laughs> so uh, in our practice, we're always very careful to um, make sure that what we're talking about or what we're practicing is non-duality. Not just simply doing good or doing good is wonderful. There's nothing wrong with doing good. (laughs) But doing good as opposed to doing bad you know, is necessary. Good and bad, understanding good and bad, but it's very important to understand that good and bad are just two sides of the same thing. And uh, I was talking this morning, we were talking about the war, the wars, and uh, uh, someone was asking, well, what, what about forgiveness? You know, yes, forgiveness is important. Forgiveness basically means that you are um, um, comp- uh, stabilizing yourself by forgiving it really doesn't have so much to do with the other person as it does with you forgiveness is something that is for, for, for yourself so that you are no longer tied to uh, the person who, to whom you have enmity you, you're letting go which doesn't mean that someone who needs to go to jail shouldn't go to jail or that 
someone that needs to uh, behave themselves shouldn't behave themselves. Um, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness is simply allowing yourself the space to not be attached. And it gives the opportunity for reconciliation if, that's, if that could happen. But they're two different things and you should understand that. So the first order of things is forgiveness, which should be really easy. It's often very hard. But, you know, like in, uh, in the paper the other day, yesterday, there was uh, the man whose son was beheaded in Iraq. You know, he said, I forgive them. I forgive them for doing And he gets all this hate mail, you know, but it's okay because he stands by his, and of course he also gets a lot of kudos. People understand that. But uh, it's very important, unless that happens, there's no reconciliation. And this, what happens with these nations, where these, they have to, somebody has to start forgiving somebody. Somebody has to take a stand. One person has to take a stand. So one person can bring that light into the world. We may think well, it doesn't mean much, it's just one person. But uh, it doesn't matter whether it means much or not. We should do what we need to do, regardless of what the consequences are. But it does mean something. So, the, the forgiveness is actually a kind of non-dualistic activity, because it frees you. It um, puts. Uh, it takes the I, you, and you and me out of it, and. Uh, it's a kind of justice. So I was thinking of justice. Um, you know, the lady with the blindfold who holds the scales, and one, there are two, one scale on one side and one scale, but that she's blind. So justice actually is blind, which means impartial. So until we get to uh, two sides become impartial and get to that level there's no justice because we think well justice is revenge and justice is blah 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 but it's simply impartiality that's why nothing is ever reconciled unfortunately <laughs> anyway that's my talk do you have an, uh, I don't know how much time we have. Nine o'clock, probably no time. Right at the end. Thank you very much.